This is episode 35 of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. Welcome to episode 35 of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. Today, I have Sarah Larby on the show. Sarah, for those of you who are not familiar with her, is a real estate investor primarily focused on Brantford, Ontario. Sarah is the host of the Where Should I Invest podcast. She's also one of the co-founders of the Wright Club here in Burlington, which is a local meetup. She's also managed to make her way up to nine properties in her portfolio at the moment. So needless to say, she's got some serious organization going on in her life, and she's got some serious systems, which we talk about on today's podcast. Growth of this scale really requires you to know what you're doing. So one way or another, Sarah has figured it out. And today she talks about all her tips and tricks. Just a quick bit of housekeeping. The next Greater Hamilton REI meetup is happening this week, Thursday, October the 17th at 7 p.m. here in Burlington. If you missed the last one, you're not going to want to miss this one. It was a great time we had about 60 people out. There was tons of networking with active investors who are doing it today and finding a way to make it work in today's market. So if you want to speak with some of the people who are getting it done in today's market in your area, make sure you join our private group on Facebook. Details are in the show notes, or you can reach out to me at the Andrew Hines on Instagram or Facebook, and I will get you the details so that I can see you there. Enjoy episode 35 with Sarah Larby. Hello and welcome to the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. I have Sarah Larby on the show today. Sarah, thanks for coming in. Super excited to be here. Thanks for having me. We've uh, been shooting messages back and forth and we're finally able to arrange this. So it's uh, it's great to have a fellow podcast host come on. And I know I've heard your guest stories and I'd like to hear your story. So uh, first off, why don't you tell me a little bit about you as, a, as an investor? Sure. So I am uh, I've been investing since 2013. I am a Burr um, investor, which uh, essentially is flipping and holding. And so it's uh, buying a place and renovating it, renting it, refinancing and repeating. So that's my main strategy in Brantford, Ontario, uh, Hamilton, recently a uh, cottage in the Kawarthas and uh, trying to scale up uh, until, you know, probably for the next the next few years. And then uh, once I get to my income goal, I'll be able to at that point in time, just start paying down the properties. Do you mind sharing what your income goal is? It's $25,000 a month. 25000 a month. Yeah, I set the goal at twenty. Okay. Twenty five is, yeah, <laughs> a little more lavish. That's okay. What is it that you want to do? Like, I actually kind of like getting into the uh, the motivation early. Like, what, what is it that you want to accomplish or what will 25000 a month allow you to do? Yeah, so essentially, I really want to be able to retire early mm-hmm. and travel and avoid the winter months here. But you know, the other piece of it is $25,000 a month, it seems like a lot, but you're going to be taxed on that stuff. And you're going to, you know, there's going to be, there's going to be still expenses, etc. But you know, I've gotten my own salary to a point where, um, plus my boyfriend's salary to a point where it's not that far off. Um, at this point. So I don't necessarily want to take a step down (laughs) once I leave my job. (laughs) Okay. So when you're, yeah, when you do leave your job, you want to still be able to have the same flexibility you have now. Absolutely. I mean, I think it would be a great opportunity to be able to help others do what I do and, and Mm -hmm. hopefully retire early as well. So, you know, the goal is to do this probably in the next two to five years. Um, and I, you know, I obviously have to, do more burrs, potentially some more multifamily burring, and uh, and go from there. Okay, yeah. So to to, uh, take a quick step back, I know you sort of alluded to what burr is. I know we talk about this all the time on the show, but yeah, so burr is just when you're buying a property and you're sort of flipping it, but instead of selling it at the end, uh, after you finish your reno, you you just refinance it and keep it. Uh, Main strategy for wealth building for me, for many of our guests, and it seems to be a common one. So um, why don't you take me back to how you got started, when you got started, and why? Yeah. So why? I remember going to the financial planner at the bank and I had a conversation with them and they were asking, you know, what your assets and liabilities were. And I didn't even know what those terms even meant back then. And I had been working for a few years, my my boyfriend as well. And we had really nothing to show. And actually, mm-hmm. that was like a good wake up call. I remember that day and I went home and I started Googling, how do people become wealthy? How do you know people retire early? And real estate kept coming back over and over. And so I just started researching it. 
and then started talking to my boyfriend about hey you know like this mm -hmm. is, could be an opportunity for us to start really building some wealth and looking into our, our financial future a little bit better and so it, it took a couple years you know from that first conversation to buying mm -hmm. the first property most mostly because a we were we were like saving as much as we could for a down payment because we really had nothing so we were starting from scratch did you own a home at that time uh, we were just getting into our primary. And um, what year was this? This was, this was in 2010. Okay. And in 2013, we bought our first uh, very, very small $129,000 um, tiny bungalow, which is the cheapest thing that we can afford. But how we got into it is that we ended up working with... Um, with having a tenant in place already. So my boyfriend's sister needed a place to live near her daughter's school. Mm -hmm. And so she became her first tenant um, because one of his original fears was, I don't wanna get a tenant that's gonna trash the place right. or pay, you know, that we're gonna have to take to the board, et cetera. I mean, you hear all those horror stories. Um, we didn't really have anybody that we knew that was investing in real estate. So you hear the bad yeah. from, from the news and the media. So none of your family or friends were into this. This, no. You were kind of a pioneer in, in your group. Yeah. And had okay. I known that there were these awesome networking groups and clubs, it probably yeah. would have helped us a lot sooner. But, you know, we got we got we got in in 2013, which I, I mean, mm -hmm. looking back at it, I'm glad that we, you know, we waited enough to really feel comfortable and had the, yeah. the enough down payment too to, to be able to buy that first one. That's actually still a pretty good time to have gotten in. I got in in 2011, but I had a couple of hiccups early on and it kind of got me out. Kind of got right back into it in 2015. So did you have any hiccups along the way or was it just kind of consistent, steady progress? So there has been lots of hiccups. Yeah. Um, there's been, I mean, for the first property as an example, like we we took the tenant, which obviously was family. That's, well, hiccup number one or mistake number one, probably. Yeah. But we we didn't even understand market rents and what that was. And mm -hmm. so we undercharged her quite a bit to start. You know, I think along the way, we just built processes to just make sure that we have good tenant screening processes in place. But yeah, tons of hiccups that happen. I mean, ultimately, mm -hmm. you know, we bought a house um, in 2015 or 16 and the attic was closed and about six months later, we realized that there was all this black mold in the attic oh. and vermiculite asbestos, and we had to remove that. That was like a $20,000 job. But you know, tons of things happen, but I think yeah. it's ultimately, when I look at the bigger picture, I'm much better off today because I started, hiccups right. or not. And it's how you, and it's how you look at them moving forward, right? And so I think if you just have a positive mindset. So like, yeah. you know, one winter we had three furnaces literally go in a matter of a week. Um, yep. on the coldest, you know, coldest part of the winter. When it rains, it pours, unfortunately. Exactly. But, you to. know, it's like it's not the end of the world. I think it's just, yeah. you know, you call your team, you get them to go and, you know, crap happens and you just deal with yeah. it. Your biggest single ding, would that have been the 25 grand to get rid of the asbestos in the attic that you found? Because we didn't know about it until six months later. And so yeah. we didn't, you know, negotiate the price to, to match that. But ultimately, you know, at the end of the day, it's fine now. It's cash flowing. We still right. did well on it at the end of the day. But um, I would say financially wise, that's probably mm -hmm. the biggest surprise that we had. I think that, yeah, the unknowns tend to tend to bite you a little bit. And I think the more educated you are, the less likely those are to to pop up right now. You probably check the attic every time yeah. uh, when you're buying. If it's closed, it's probably closed for reasons. So now, how do you mean closed? Like it was like no it access? Was, yeah, they actually drywalled it over. See, yeah, that scares the heck out of me. Actually, the house we're in right now, this house does not have an attic access. And it's the like, granted, like we have a loft, so there's bedrooms up there. So I'm assuming that it's just insulation right in the joist, but there's a little tiny attic space and it makes me feel uncomfortable that I can't see inside of it. Yeah, and you know what? One of the things too is um, is the tenants were saying like it smells weird, like oh. I think there's some dead animals in there and maybe there were, um, but luckily yeah. they left because they didn't want to be part of that time while we were renovating yeah and um and yeah so we you know we did what we could with what we had but it was it was a big job and um you know but at the end of the day don't if you can't see into the attic <laughs> just uh -huh. keep in mind there might be a reason and i think that the the people that did sell specifically patched that up so that you couldn't actually see yeah they just wanted to wash their hands of it yeah that's that's frustrating i would say so the, i actually just had a recent um thing that, you know, we're talking about unexpected costs, like when you weren't thinking about it, like I just had a rental turnover 
in the summer and the tenants didn't tell me about it. They just all of a sudden they started moving out and I heard I heard, you know, people tell me, hey, I saw stuff on the lawn. It looks like they're moving out. I'm like, what? So uh, anyways, when they did, I had an unexpected. It was about 20 grand, 25 grand. Um, it's funny how like if 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 you're in this game, you kind of got to be ready for that. You got to have something mm-hmm. set aside and it's just part of your mindset. Look, you know, expenses come up, but my real estate's always going up in value. So I shouldn't be too upset about it when it happens. Yeah, absolutely. And if it happens on your fourth or fifth or sixth property, it's definitely not as detrimental than your first. And and so when I'm working with students, like I try to, you know, just coach them as much as possible to something simple to start mm-hmm. as, you know, with there's always going to be little things that come up, but you know, I think if it happens on your first house or it happens on your fourth house, that might make or break your experience and your desire yeah. to go forward. Because I think if we had such a bad experience on the first on the first one, I don't know if we would have necessarily been as excited to keep buying them. But how do you how do you avoid that? Like for somebody who's getting started, like what's the what's the way that they avoid making a mistake? Because I made tons. I learned I learned not by paying for education, but by paying for mistakes. Absolutely. I mean, I think just try to as much as possible to work with a coach and a mentor. And then, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, like things do happen. Things will happen. You can't for sure know that nothing is going to ever go wrong. But, you know, get a good property inspector that is going to go through Mm -hmm. with a fine tooth comb. I mean, you know, even though we had one, like we knew we couldn't get into the attic and we took that chance. And so, um, but even just build yourself a buffer. So if you've got, you know, $60,000 to invest as a down payment, just make sure that you're, you've got a little bit of extra money Mm -hmm. somewhere to cover whatever unforeseen things happen. You know, we've had tons of plumbing leaks and things that we've had to had to urgently go and fix. Not me, my plumber, because yeah. you know, ultimately, I don't I don't work in the business. I work on the business, but you keep your sanity. <laughs> I keep my sanity, but you know, I've I've had videos from tenants saying this is what's happening right now, and it was like yeah. a basement, and all this water was coming down, and you know, it, it's all about how you react to it. Yeah. And I sent a text to my plumber, and he went by and he fixed it, and you know, so be it. I uh, give my my tenants a list of what to do if and if they call me, I don't even take the uh, the call. Like if I get a middle of the night call and it did happen, my response is he he texts me when I didn't answer. We have water in the basement. I'm like, call the plumber. (laughs) (laughs) But then I didn't sleep the rest of the night because I was like all like the worst case scenarios were going through my head. You know, as much as we we, we say we have processes, you know, still human and uh, still worry sometimes. But uh, it all worked out on that one. That's good. (laughs) Yeah. Tip. It's 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 hit me two Septembers in a row because I do the student rentals. Mm. The whole summer goes by and then the roots grow into the sanitary drain connection out between the house and the road. And um, last two uh, Septembers, including this one, I had uh, I had a backup in a basement and it costs it costs a lot of money. So word of the wise, if you have an older house, just put it on the annual maintenance that you get it augured out every year. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, the first house I bought, it was actually from the 1850s. And exactly that same thing happened as all the tree roots, you know, and and when you're buying a property, if you see a big tree (laughs) on the front or the backyard or close by, I would just get it scoped out as part of the inspection, because that's exactly what happened. We, we, Mm -hmm. you know, we didn't know if the tenants had put like stuff down the toilet or down the, Well, they usually do, do. and they (laughs) compound the problem, right? Exactly. And then, so it started backing up for us too. And we ended up having to like you know cut tree branches every so often but like it's only a temporary fix and we ended up having i think it was like six or seven thousand dollars we had to actually excavate and and you got um, done that cheap lucky you you know it was (laughs) yeah i mean it was it was a small part of it but yeah yeah see things happen (laughs) yeah pro tip and i don't think i don't think home inspectors really focus on this at all i've never heard it but not to say that some some don't uh or some do uh but you have to realize, I think, what would you say, Sarah, probably older than 1960. Uh, there's a good chance you have clay tile uh, drain pipe, which can be penetrated by roots. You could have what's called uh, asbestos cement pipe, which has joints and the roots grow in between the joints. So yeah, if you got that tree on the front yard and it's an older house, consider it part of your due diligence because I've been quoted up to $12,000 to line the inside of the sewer and I'm paying about $500 per property per year to just get it augered out so it's going to add to the maintenance bill so yeah i know we went on a tangent here but it is like it's not something a lot of people think about and and it's probably something that you should uh especially because it's a serious cost if there's something wrong 
Yeah, absolutely. I, I try to avoid houses with big trees. <laughs> I know. Like, as much as possible. That's just an amazing deal. So so now I'm pretty confident that I just have two of my properties have this problem. And hopefully that's the end of it. Hopefully no more backups. But uh, yeah, it's just been like, like I said, when it rains, it pours like this September, you know, just and in the summer, just like, you know, uh, one of my, my furnaces at one of my properties, it was summer, kids weren't there. And it was it wasn't leaking into the condensation pipe. Mm. It was leaking onto the floor, and uh, it went on for two or three months. So we had to pull all the floor out, replace a oh, bunch of trim, no. and uh, again, the mindset of an investor being ready and also know like sometimes you got to go sit down and say, uh, "How much money has this property made me?" And then look at the bigger picture. How much has it gone up in value? Okay, do I really care about this little hiccup? Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> yeah, I think in the grand scheme of things, we'll be ahead. If you buy and you hold yeah. and you're in the market for a while, things will happen, but you'll be ahead. I oh, absolutely. That. Well, if you think about it, even like in a worst case, like our market's been good, but in a worst case, like inflation's about 2%. Mm-hmm. So say your property's going up in value about 2%, which effectively means it's not going up in value. Yeah. But you know, if it's a $100,000 property, I've given this example before, 2% is $2,000. If you're only in for 20,000 as a down payment, which is 20%, then you're getting 10% just on your property going up in value. Yeah, and then your mortgage being paid down by your tenants, which is like five to 6% on your money yeah. every single year, which, you know, if you add that, plus you add the cost of, you know, whatever the 2% that you you mentioned, I can't invest in the stock market and guarantee myself that. Have you worked it out? Like, do you, like your average return on investment, have you like broken down like a what you typically see as an ROI? Yeah, but because I do a burr, like I, I'm able to pull out a lot of money. And so my, and then, and then because I'm using the bank's money now to buy the next ones, I mean, my return it's is infinity, nothing. right? And so, yeah. <laughs> but, but, but say you, on a single deal, you, you go in, you buy it, you reno it, and then you refi, uh, even if you say borrowed the down payment, let's just say hypothetically it was your money. Yeah. Um, are you getting like 40, 50, 60% kind of returns? Is that yeah. where you're at? I mean, I've seen 40 to hundred and. 20 yeah. i mean it's but you know i think it's also unrealistic to to tell people that like that's what you're gonna see the birth strategy works well and you know can you make 30 40 to 100 percent? absolutely you can but you know you're not gonna do that every single time but you know i think ultimately you know just looking back and thinking back on my properties i mean most of them have <laughs> done better than 60 <laughs> percent Okay, and I would say that the ones that weren't burrs for me, probably, you know, they were averaging maybe 20% a year until um, everything I have is in London. So then London exploded and then things got really good. But when it comes to burrs, I don't know if you've had this, but I've had a couple of times where I've been able to either get all or even a little bit extra out of the property on a burr where I've been able to refinance everything I had into it out. Uh, have mm-hmm. you had that uh, a couple of times or once even? Yeah. Yeah. So we ended up buying one in, I think it was like the d- December of 2016. So let's just call it, you know, this 2017. We ended up, so that was 151000 mm-hmm. We like just got really lucky with that one, put in about 30000 and then nine months later refinanced it um, and it was appraised at two seventy five. Hey guys, let's just pause the episode for a second and hear from our sponsors. Today's episode is brought to you by the Real Estate Growth Summit, hosted in Toronto, Ontario at the Pearson Convention Center on November's 11th and 12th. I have Dylan here to talk to you about the things that you're going to learn at the Real Estate Growth Summit. Dylan, take it away. Thanks, Andrew. Really excited to be sponsors of your podcast. This event is for listeners like you that want to take your real estate sales or real estate investing business to the next level and to replace your active income with passive income through learning and implementing the systems and processes used by the best in the industry. Be prepared to walk away with some tangible tools and an action plan that I have personally used to become a top performer in the industry in just under three years. To get your tickets before prices go up, visit www.realestategrowthsummit.ca. And for being loyal listeners of Andrew's podcast, there's a special discount code just for you. All you have to do is enter Andrew REI as the promo code at checkout to save $50 off admission. The only way you're ever going to reach your massive goals is to take massive action. So go get your tickets today and we'll see you at the event. Okay, let's get back to the episode. Did you just, were you right in the middle of a, a very explosive growth period or was it, was it just you, you made it on the buy? Like how, when you look back at that deal. We made it on the buy. Um, We were able to, like, I mean, we bought this place within four hours of it, even hitting on the, hitting the market and we bought it unconditionally and we knew Mm -hmm. the area well, and it was just, it had good bones. It was just Mm -hmm. dated. And so it was an estate sale. People just wanted to get rid of it and we just jumped on it. 
Now, with estate sales, do they not normally want those to be listed? Yeah, they were listed. It was on MLS. Oh, so it did get it, listed. You just you just it was listed for right four away. hours, and then I took four it. <laughs> so you were right there. You knew it was coming out. How did you have the lead? Like, how did you know before other people knew? I mean, you know what? I don't think I necessarily have the lead before other people know, but you're on the realtor's uh, matrix or whatever oh, they call yeah, it. Oh, yeah, so they send it and out. And so I yeah. see those in real time. Yeah. And so I do look at them. I mean, unless I'm in a meeting or something, like I will see those properties in real time. And then I basically set my realtor because he's local. Yeah. And I'm like, go see this house. And he's like, yep, yeah, it's good. Let's go. Right. Okay. And so that's how we were able to do it. I think most of the properties now, I buy them sight and seen at this point. So you just let your realtor tell you good or bad. And if he says good, then or he or she. I find, uh, so, yeah, I find something, I send them and then, you know, it just avoids the trip because ultimately yep. I could just worst case scenario, I put it conditional on inspection and it cost me mm-hmm. 450 bucks. And we've done that a few times to get stuff under contract. Yeah. But it also gave me the opportunity to get some really amazing deals oh, yeah. that if I would have waited until I was available to go and see it, mm-hmm. which is could be a weekend or an evening it would be gone by then bought a couple probably two or three i've bought just firm off for having not seen it with you know that's Mm -hmm. why it pays to have people you trust right somebody you trust that you you know you know they would look out for your best interest and that doesn't come easy i'm not recommending that but you know you'll know when you know kind of thing yeah don't do it on the first few and you want to use a realtor that's also an investor as well i think it Mm -hmm. and and that's local but if they're already investors, like they have a good grasp on what a good deal is and what a good deal is not, I think that's that's a big key piece of it is just make sure that your yeah. your team of experts are really solid in their investors and they work with investors mostly too. Interesting point that you say that make sure they're an investor. I firmly agree, but I know some people disagree because if you work with an investor realtor, sometimes you're competing with them. What are your thoughts? Yes and no. I mean, I think ultimately... You know, if they, you know, if they are in it just for themselves, it's going to be pretty evident. I haven't had, and I work with somebody else that's also an investor realtor in Hamilton, um, some somebody separate for Brantford, and I haven't had that happen. So I think a because some of them do put clients first. Mm-hmm. Um, I think some of them look for something different. So like, for example, my realtor in Brantford, I mean, he's got, I think he's got like 30 properties. He was on my podcast, I think like episode two or three, Manny Muneer. Okay. And I, I don't necessarily think he's buying what I was, I'm buying at this point. Um, you know, my realtor, Dylan Suter in Hamilton. He was just on this podcast not too long ago. <laughs> nice. Yeah. So he, you know, he's looking for something else as well. And so I think it's also in their best interest to help the clients because ultimately as investors, we keep coming back. Yep. So in in your reputation in this business, like the industry is so small, if you have the tendency to take the deals and not give them your clients, I'm telling you that like that bad reputation will go around really quickly and in the long run, you'll be worse off. Well, and I think there's there's room for a realtor, to be honest. Like I had, you know, a guy, we've been friends since like 2010, graduated from the same school and he became a realtor. I was, I was in mortgages and, uh, you know, we, we kind of, partnered up to a certain degree early on, sent each other deals. And, and eventually he started repping me and, and bringing me properties to buy. And he was very transparent about the fact like, look, I'm, I'm going to take my pick, but there's more deals than I can do. And there's still lots of good deals. And I was okay with it. I didn't let my ego get in the way. And I still did tons of great deals off of off of what he brought me. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's there's still room. But yeah, it's just I think it's about the honesty and transparency of the realtor. And, and you know, are you on the same page? And, uh, you know, not getting one like, you go look at it together. He's like, actually, I'm going to take this one. That's that's the conversation you don't want to have. Yeah. I mean, it is a good point, too, is like not nobody has an unlimited amount of money mm-hmm. and financing at the end of the day. And even capacity to renovate, right? If yeah. you're in the Burr business, like buy, reno, uh, refinance, I'm missing something, rent, repeat. <laughs> you know, if you're in that business, there is a capacity restriction until you kind of learn to grow responsibly. So that's that's definitely part of it. Let's get back to some of the numbers on this deal. So you appraised it at, at, at 275. So if we look at our mortgage at 80%, so that you got a $220,000 mortgage. Is that is that mm-hmm. how that worked out yeah. for you? Okay. Yeah. So sometimes we do a HELOC and sometimes we do a cash out with us when we did a cash out. Cash out, cash out refinance, mean? right? Because there's two types of refinances that you oh, can do. Okay, so you actually, so you just did a new mortgage charge and they gave you a flat fee of money, which paid out the entire other mortgage. And then you had cash in your hand, Correct. like cash in pocket. Yeah. Okay. And we don't always do that. I would say we we usually do a home equity line of credit unless okay. it really still cash flows well. And we have lines of credits to pay down. Okay. So 
because there's there's a combination of both you could do either or yeah and there's pros and cons to both right and so if you do a a HELOC instead of a cash out well the HELOC doesn't cost you anything until you need to use it it's mm -hmm. money that's sitting there it's like a line of credit that's attached to your house if you do a cash out refinance you do get the cash but unless you've got a deal for the next one like you don't want your cash just sitting there either right um, so what we do is sometimes when we have lines of credits to pay down because we've yeah. used them for prior houses, then we'll do, you know, when we have a really good deal like this one, we'll do a, a full cash out and then pay off the pay lines off of credit line. or use it if we have another deal that we're, um, we've got under contract that we want to go ahead with. That's smart. And, and the key is don't contaminate the money because that's tax deductible money uh, as long as it's used for an investment. So if you pay out other debt that was used for investment, then, you know, still speak with your accountant, but, uh, but you can keep that, that money deductible. So uh, definitely a conversation to have with the accountant. So you actually pulled out $39,000. So you got to keep a property, get $39,000 in cash. And uh, what was it? Was it a bungalow duplex? This was a bungalow, um, no basement. No basement. Um, okay. Just a bungalow, two bedrooms, but we ended up actually getting a third bedroom out of it. Okay. And it was, so originally what we wanted to do is we wanted to renovate it right away, but we, you mm -hmm. know, once in a while, I'll just put like a little tester ad on Kijiji to see what I can get. And we had, a, we had tenants that didn't want anything changed because the wall paneling made them think like it, they were at their cottage that, you know, okay. back in the day and they loved purple. So they liked the, the shag purple carpet and the purple bathtub anyway. So they ended up actually renting it before we did anything for 1300 bucks they ended up breaking up so at that point in time it was like six months later we okay. said okay just leave and we'll, we're gonna renovate it okay and so the renovation took about two and a half to three months to do yeah and uh yeah and then that was it so nine months later we just refinanced it so and rent it rented it for 1545 so when you were at 1545 what approximately was your cash flow with that new tenant yeah, uh, it's 200, 200 and change, like $230. Uh, 230 a month? Yeah. Okay, so, so your annual... Give or take. Your annual cash flow would be about 2760 And then on... So I like to just calculate total sure. returns. So let's just take a look. So, so your mortgage pay down, I usually say 3% uh, if you're like a 30-year AM. Sure. About that. Yeah. So it's... So we'll say 3% of your mortgage balance per year as a pay down for a rough estimate. It goes up every year. The, the longer you hold yes. your mortgage, but yes, you can do yes, 3% the longer. <laughs> oh, I know. Like if we really want to get complex, we'll, we'll pull out an amortization <laughs> schedule. Um, I don't have time for that on the podcast, but you know. And then we've got, of course, the appreciation. I like to just say 3% because obviously we've done better, but do we really know how long that that's going to last? Right. Um, better to just stay conservative. Appreciation is on that appraised value of 275. So that's... Here's how the return breaks down. So cash flow is $2,760 a year. You've got $6,600 of mortgage pay down. So you're paying off your mortgage and then you've got $8,250 a year of the property going up in value. Not bad for an investment that you've got nothing invested in and actually paid you money. So in the first year, is it correct to say that this property gave you $39,000 plus an extra $17,000 in, in return? That's it. Yeah. That's a pretty solid investment, Sarah. Good work. Thank you. You're they're not always going to be like that. You're not always going to be able to pull all your money out and and some, but you know, once in a while you'll hit those. And then once in a while you'll hit some that you're taking a chunk of money back, but not everything, right? So we've got other examples of of other ones too where, yeah. you know, things don't always go as planned. You know, time might be a little bit longer than planned or you yeah. might uncover something that you didn't foresee or didn't budget for. So, you know, things happen. Yeah, thing, things definitely do. I think I was kind of like spoiled for a while where everything was just going so smooth, smooth, smooth. And I finally hit one where it cost me way more than I expected. And I'm like, ouch. And like, you know, it's just frustrating because you're like making such great progress. You're like, oh, that's a step back. But uh, it does happen. You just got to keep um, keep pushing forward. Now, I wanted to ask you a little bit more about you. So for one, we're going to talk about your network. But before we do that, tell me a little bit about your career education, what you're doing for a full-time job right now, um, and you know how this fits with that. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess the short answer is that it doesn't really fit with that. So I, uh, I went to school for nursing, okay. did a Bachelor of Science at Ryerson, and finished, passed, graduated with honors, decided nursing was not for me based on the fact that, you know, I, I feel like nurses are underappreciated and underpaid. Okay. And you know, if somebody is a nurse out there that's working harder mm -hmm. than another nurse, 
why should they make the same amount of money? Right. It doesn't make sense to me. So, you know, it just, it was a, a bachelor of science is the way I looked at it. And mm-hmm. then I, I've been in sales since I started my career. So I went to Xerox and I went to Syntas, um, Aramark and, uh, and Mars, which is now Lavazza. So I, um, I'm a sales manager. I cover distribution for nice. Lavazza coffee for the B2B segments. And, um, you know, I really enjoy it. This is probably where I will um, retire. My retirement is going oh, to be right, very yeah. early. The, the, reti- the two-year retirement. <laughs> the two- <laughs> five-year retirement. Um, but, you know, along the way, I just figure it's it's not enough for me to rely on a job. It's not for me. It's not good to rely, in my opinion, on one source of income. So how do I create other sources of income? And just real estate just, you know, it, it, it works. It you know, it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. Mm-hmm. And I look at, you know, what we've accomplished in the last, you know, since 2013, we went from like having nothing to, you know, being millionaires at, mm-hmm. at our age because of real estate, not because of our jobs. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. What the, uh, what happened in, in the uh, last few years did the same thing for me. You know, I went from somebody who felt like I was not really doing very much. This is before I found Burr. And then, you know, gung ho for like three years and all of a sudden that's a whole new label you can put on yourself, which is pretty cool. I want to go to the multi-millionaire status and multi-multi-multi. That's that's next step. But then, of course, like for me, like I'm more thinking like cash flow, like just like you are, right? Like to me, like net worth will come if I focus on cash flow, buying real estate, I know net worth will follow. I was never specifically trying for that. I was always thinking cash flow. That was just Mm -hmm. a nice, nice little byproduct. Yeah, you know, the when I think when I first started, I was so much more into just the cash flow, cash flow, cash flow. But really, I think what builds wealth, like cash flow is good. But oh, you're yeah. not going to have, you know, if you really want cash flow, go to the US, go to Windsor, go to, you know. But there, yeah. I think for me, it became a combination now, the more that I'm into this as it has to cash flow regardless. Yeah. Um, but, you know, where, where you're really going to see the difference in your financial the financial difference i think is going to be you know after you hold for a couple years and you get the mortgage pay down benefits and then you get the appreciation benefits and then you can start figuring out okay you know how do i scale and buy another one refinance one yeah and i think that's where you really start to feel the difference because a 200 or 300 dollar a month cash flow i mean you gotta you gotta scale up quite a bit for that um but i think at some point when you when you have enough and you start selling some to pay some completely off then the cash flow becomes really interesting yeah yeah i guess there is a very good caveat to what i said and and you summed it up well like i'm investing in areas that i know have appreciation and then my requirement is cash flow which restricts the number of properties uh significantly i'm wary about a lot of the u.s markets i have invested down there but there are there are legitimately u.s markets that are quote unquote dying you know, there's just no reason. There's no economic uh, infrastructure there. There's no reason for people to stay. Mm-hmm. And I'm always thinking about that. And that's that's what I love about Ontario is that there's so much economic growth and diversity all over the place here. And we, we have sort of an unprecedented property appreciation over such a wide area, I think. Yeah. Now, I haven't actually done the research on that to, you know, to, to look at the statistics, but that's just my gut feel. And I'm sure there's some, some uh, info to back that up. Yeah. You know, I, I speak to a lot of investors in the US or I talk to them on their podcast as an example. And when I tell them like that, we have a housing shortage issue and our vacancy rates are like 1%, they're like, wow, you know, we have a completely different, you know, way of doing things because we want to keep our tenants there. And you just do month to month, Sarah, because I don't want to, I don't want to sign your leases, right? I heard you saying that. Yeah. And so, (laughs) so at the end of the day, they're like, wow, like we actually have to incentivize them to keep them sometimes. But Mm -hmm. all they do is, is bank on that cash flow. There is little appreciation. And ultimately there's a lot of of turnover um, and vacancies. And so like we have the opposite problem, which I think is what's helping also with the appreciation and, yeah. you know, the the market rents year over year. You can't bring them up to the market rents because Ontario limits you, but the yeah. market rents go up like five to 10% every year. Like if a tenant was to leave every single year, yeah. you're bumping that up quite a bit. And then, you know, the other piece is like the cash flow. When I have these properties and they've turn tenants twice or three times, I'm getting much better cash flow 
because I'm buying the property two, three years later, you know, like yeah. for, here's an example. I bought a property um, in 2013 or 14. Um, so the first one, I'll give you an example. The first mm -hmm. one we bought, we were renting for $800 and I had to pay $80 for gas for this tenant. Mm -hmm. And so they really, the rent was like 720. Okay. Now that same property, the rent is 1425. Yeah. Cause they turn tenants three times. Yeah, like that's what you, you know, when you said time in the market, that is everything, right? Um, the, the property I was referring to earlier, I had it, I started renting it at 1325 in 2012, just re rented it at, at 1895 and didn't really do much to it. I just painted it, mm -hmm. you know, cleaned it up, replaced the appliances, countertops, like nothing much at all. And just to be able to, to see that, that's mm -hmm. why it's time in the market, right? Because it's, you might see a property, like you say, you know, like you're only at 200 and change a month on that property now, but in what happens if you turn it over three more times? Right. And then all, now all of a sudden that property that was only a few hundred bucks is now a thousand maybe. That's true. Because now if these tenants leave that mm -hmm. property, I can rent for 1700. Do you have a strategy to encourage tenants to leave? <laughs> <laughs> so there is no strategy once they're in but yeah. usually what i do is when i screen them i just make sure that this is not their forever home and they yeah. have a goal um, of buying something in the next you know five years or or less yeah and so that's usually the type of tenants i will find of course everything else has to check and there's lots of you know checkpoints mm -hmm. and things like that but that is one of the big criteria so i only sign month-to-month -month leases unless it's a new property and i'm getting financing for the first time sometimes the banks are still a little bit behind in their thinking and they want a year lease but I okay. started pushing back a little bit and getting them just month to month. So it's the same like standard lease agreement that we have to sign. Yeah. But why do I have to lock myself in for tw like 12 months? Because ultimately, if you have to go to the board or you have to sell the house or something like you're just you're limiting yourself, you're making yourself stuck. It's the tenant. I mean, really, realistically, in Ontario, if they wanted it F off and go somewhere else, they could like wh what recourse yeah. do we really have? Small claims court. That's about it. Right. Yeah. Landlord tenant won't do won't do as much for us. So um, good point. It's interesting. I think you're probably the first person I've ever heard that does that in Ontario, but uh, it, it is interesting and I don't really see a downfall with it on a family rental. On student rentals, I'm, I'm a little bit different in my thinking. I agree. Student yeah. rentals, they turn over anyway, so you might yeah. as well just lock them in for the yeah. 12 months or whatnot. Yeah. And the strategy is always to get them to resign too. Like, you know, mm -hmm. get that commitment from them and, and agree that I won't increase their rent if they resign a lease. And that seems to work. And everyone, mm -hmm. that's kind of, everyone does that, right? No landlord wants an open-ended lease uh, mid school year. Right. Cause that's, you know, but now with Airbnb, mm -hmm. you know, you got options, right? If it, mm -hmm. if it did happen, you, you could probably do something. I might even be able to make more money. Probably could, uh, you know, going down that road. That's another, another discussion for another day. Okay. So I wanted to talk to you a little bit about your network because you're sort of everywhere and I know that's by design. So why don't you tell me where it started and what you're up to as far as putting yourself out there in media, podcast land, meetup land, all that stuff. <laughs> so yeah, how did it start? I mean, I think it was probably not even two years ago. And I, you know, I, I don't, I don't, I've never been a big person with like social media, like Facebook or Instagram. Like I literally think it's been a year and a half that I've had Instagram. And then Facebook, when you post stuff on Instagram, it goes to Facebook. I think that's why I have Facebook. Mm -hmm. But I, um, there was a story on me. I don't know if you, you know this or not on um, the Toronto Star front page saying I had six properties at the time. And it was actually really kind of an eye opener because people were trying to reach me, but I had no way to be reached. And so they were finding me on LinkedIn, which has nothing to do. Like I usually keep them separate, like my mm -hmm. business on LinkedIn and then real estate separately. And I think I missed a great opportunity to be able to help a lot of people. Okay. And so I, you know, I decided that I was going to do like a little meetup because a lot of people were like messaging me with questions. And so I had a little meetup. It was like in Toronto at Baca Cafe, that little top area there. And I think since then, I'm just, you know, I figure like if, if people need help, because for me, you know, I've, I've been in the market for a little while. I've done a lot of listening to podcasts and learning. And if I can help somebody do it faster than I did, mm -hmm. then why not? And so the right club came about, it's been about two and a half, two years from the right club. So at the same time, I was starting a club with Alfonso Salemi, Daniel Saint-Jean, Laurel Simmons. And, you know, networking is, is a huge thing. And I think if I would have done that sooner, I would be further than right. where I am today. But we started a club and we, because we were all 
fairly big with networking with other investors, um, even though they were doing it for much longer probably than I was, we still had a good network of people. And so we we decided, hey, you know, let's just rent a room at the Holiday Inn, invite who we know and just provide education. Mm-hmm. And that's how it started. And then two and a half years later, I mean, now we're, you know, averaging about 250 people each events. And we are actually launching in the fall a whole online community. So okay. Somewhere where, you know, think I don't want to say bigger pockets for Canada, but essentially it's going to be something similar where you can have forums, you can get content, you can listen to webinars. Um, So we're like, we're definitely spending a lot of time on that. And then the podcast came from, I attended, you remember the Wealth Forum where Tony Robbins came a couple years ago? Yeah, I remember seeing the uh, the ads for it. Uh, that's, uh, Sav was saying that he went there. That was his, his start. Oh, was it? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Real nice. Estate Investor Sav. That was the last, uh, or episode 30. Nice. Anyways. That's awesome. Um, yeah, and so, you know, I went to one of the like um sessions they like break you into rooms at some point and it was on podcasting i didn't even know what i was getting into mm-hmm. and i'm like oh it's pretty interesting so i ended up paying like 500 dollars or whatever it was to like learn how to create a podcast i'm like you know let's just see what happens and that's actually how it happened i i took the course i figured i was going to do a podcast i was editing and doing everything and i don't know if you edit your own stuff but it was like it takes a lot of time I'm to do it. I'm still crazy, yeah. <laughs> You're still crazy. I hired a virtual assistant now. I can't do everything. But, you know, yeah. it, so it was only being released like once a month. But, you know, people were sending me messages and like saying like, hey, you know, like you really helped me. Thanks so much. I'm like, wow, like these yeah. are, this is really cool. And you're probably getting this stuff too. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, why, like, let's help others. I, I don't think that there's that many of us out there if we can you know, create a stronger alliance and work with each other. I mean, we're all probably going to frequent the same circles at oh, some yeah. point, right? And so... Yeah, we know a lot of the same people. Absolutely. <laughs> it's a small community, this investor community, right? It is. Yeah. It is. So, yeah. So, I mean, that's kind of yeah. how it's all been started. And, you know, I'm, I have some speaking events. Um, yeah. I spoke at the investor forum a couple times. But, you know, I think ultimately, I think if you... I try to come from a place of just teaching yes. and helping and educating um, and you know, I, one of the things I really despise is, you know, sometimes you go to these, I'm not going to name names or anything, but they're, they're like American companies and then they like upsell you run to the on back like, of the room, right? Yeah. The run to the back of the room thing mm-hmm. where you get no value at the front while you're listening drives me crazy. And so yeah. I'm not saying that there's never going to be, you know, opportunities to go to a different event with our club, yeah. but like the biggest thing is we ha- we have to provide value, we have to provide yeah. education, we have, you know, and then it's a choice and it's not a hard type of sale. I think, yes, I think that there's there's a, the, the industry has split a, a little bit and then they're, they're the people like yourself that are, are giving value first and then and then there are the people who are uh, aggressively selling and, and, you know, giving the, uh, giving that side of things a bad name. And I think that, yeah, if you if you give value first and people say, hey, I, li- I really like Sarah. I like the way she thinks I can, you know, I can see she's sincere and I'd like to work with her. I wonder what it costs or, you know, I wonder what she could she could do for me. And, you know, I, I think if it comes off that way, it, it's going to work out so much better in the end for you as the the coach and, and you know, your, your students. Right. Because you are doing quite a bit of coaching as well. I know we haven't even dove into that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, even with your podcast relationship and it gives you that opportunity to uh, to turn that into other things. I actually like the podcast because I know it might seem odd, but in social situations, I've never been a huge on approaching people that didn't know me. Okay. And I found it a lot easier, the idea of being, why don't I just be the guy that everybody knew to begin with? So, <laughs> that's, that's a different So way they can come and it. talk to me. Honestly, I, I know that sounds funny, like, because I babble on on this podcast, but uh, I, I generally, I just prefer um, if, if people already kind of are acquainted with who I am, and then uh, it makes it a little easier to, to start conversations. I know yeah, that sounds weird. Cool. No, there's, I mean, there's nothing weird about that. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, like, you know, it's just it's just a different way to reach people. Yeah. And, you know, and I think it's it's really cool to hear everyone's stories of like why they got started in podcasting and how. And, yeah. you know, and that is for I think for me, ultimately, it was I, I paid for this course and I'm a big I'm big on action taking. Yeah. I'm like, I'll think about it after and I'll tweak it after and I'll make it better after. I'm just going to get started. Right. And that that's where you need to go. I mean, 
I'm, I'm sure if you look at the early episodes of this, I didn't even know what to call it in the first episode. I called it something else. So, I mean, sometimes you just got to go, right? You just got to, you just got to go do it and, and then figure it out from there. Yeah. And on the editing side, like I still do editing. Um, but that's something that I'm looking to find somebody who wants to be like a mentee who's good with video and in nice. exchange for them helping me with my video editing, um, you know, I can kind of relay some of my wisdom onto them and Perfect. looking for that kind of relationship. But yeah, with yeah. video, it's like, I don't know how to give that to a VA because like literally one of these episodes is like 20 gigabytes of files. Mm, so right. we'll have to find a crafty way with that. <laughs> but uh, anyways, that's something it'll be part of the growth, right? Yeah. But I agree with you, you know, these you said, you know, if you had done this earlier, you would have grown so much faster. I totally think that because a lot of my early investing was was based on having a good mentor or a couple of good mentors. And then when the market changed, one of my mentors kind of said, well, I can't really can't really help you anymore here. And um, it it kind of felt like, wow, if I had just been networking, I would have so many other relationships with people. And and, um, you know, I would be able to continue to build. Uh, a lot faster than I had been. So now I'm looking at it and, you know, having started my own meetup and, and I see like just so many opportunities to just connect with people and, you know, the people we get on this podcast. Now I understand how you think and, and, you know, now we know each other and it gives us an opportunity to bounce ideas off each other or what have you. So yeah, I know that is pretty cool. Your podcast, what's the name? So the one I do on my own is called where should I invest? Where should I invest? And I, I yeah. made that name up like literally in a minute. I'm just like, yeah. What do people type in to Google? That's how I came up yeah. with that name. I'm like, when it comes to investing, and then it just stayed that, you know, where should I invest? Yeah. Um, and then the other one is called The Right Club Podcast. The Right Club Podcast. Yeah. So you're pretty busy. So you're working full time, shooting two podcasts. You host the meetup and you do coaching. Are you, you know, are you a Am I javelin <laughs> thrower as well? <laughs> no, you know what? It's, um, it's, it's about delegating. So like, here's an example. Yesterday I had... Uh, I don't know if you saw it on Instagram, but this guy, that's his business. He comes and cleans people's cars. He comes to you. Okay. So I don't have to bring my car away. Like I hired a chef to do the cooking. I have a, like, yeah. you know, as, as much of this task that don't help me grow or don't help me in my business that I, I don't enjoy because some people enjoy cooking and that's fine. Mm-hmm. I'm going to delegate. And I think that's why I'm, I'm still able to, yeah. it's hard, but it's why I'm still able to do everything in um, waking up at four, it has been a, a change that I've done in the last probably six months. Miracle morning? <laughs> no, not so much. I just, um, I started working out in the mornings, um, just to actually get like a workout done. Okay. And there is uh, I go to Orange Theory Fitness and there's like a 515 class. And so that actually works with my schedule. So I wake up at four, maybe I'll read some real estate, uh, articles that came out. Flipboard is a great app. I love that. Okay. And, um, you know, do a couple emails and then I just head off to the gym. Okay. So you're off to the gym and then you're, you're, uh, eight hours of work. What time do you start work? Yeah. Yes. It's like eight to five. So you're eight to five working and then you come home and is there more, more business to do rental property, uh, stuff or. So when it comes to managing my properties, it's actually not that bad. That might yeah. take me a couple hours a month just because I literally just text whoever, you know, if there's an yeah. issue, my handyman, et cetera. Because I, I have it set up now where it's not as time consuming. Um, where I do spend more time is, you know, working on the right club. We have lots of meetings, working on the podcasts, working mm-hmm. on with students, you know, creating courses. So that's the stuff that I mm-hmm. probably would say between like, you know, five and nine. But you know, that's not to say that I don't have a life. I still, yeah. you know, I still have a life. So what would you say are your main skills, like tactical skills for real estate investing? What would you say you've really honed in on? Delegation. Delegation is <laughs> your big tactical skill? I, okay. You know, I think ultimately it's just figuring out what's urgent, what can wait, um, creating processes to make things flow a lot easier and just hiring the right people on my team. I I mm-hmm. I don't think that, you know, real estate is that difficult. You know, of course when you when you learn it, there's a lot of stuff to learn, but like it's not rocket science at the end of the mm-hmm. day. Can you give me an example of a process that you've implemented? Tenant screening, perfect example. So there's five steps and literally I I want to make sure that I have the right tenants in place so that they you know, of course, people can slip through the cracks, but that they at least are screened very thoroughly. So here's an example. So I have five steps for this. The first one is I posted on add on Kijiji. 
Mm-hmm. If it, you know people are listening from the U.S., this is like essentially a Craigslist. And then I, I describe the property, and then I have three specific questions. Usually, the first question is, "Tell me a little bit about yourself um, and your family." Number two, you know, do you smoke? Do you have pets? Number three, you know, your name and your phone number. If they literally just reply, "I'm interested," give me more information, like they clearly cannot take direction. So I actually screen out a lot of people from them not replying properly to my okay. questions. So let's just say, for example, I post an ad, I get 50 replies, you know, you'd be surprised, but 20 actually do it properly. And then maybe I wouldn't be surprised. (laughs) (laughs) So and and oftentimes people are like, oh, I love your your house. I want to be like moved into my forever home. Like, unfortunately, those people get screened out right away. Like, oops, shouldn't have said that. Yeah. And, you know, I never put in my phone number or anywhere to reach me. Like, I always take control. And so what I'll do, step two, is I will actually call them on the phone, block my number, um, and I will ask them if they have questions about the property, get to talk to them. And then I specifically have a list of questions that I don't make it sound like I'm interrogating them because we're going to have a conversation through it. But it's essentially a way for me to screen them. If I don't like them, I basically let them know. I'm going to call them in a future date to let them know when the property is able to be shown. I literally don't call them back. They don't have my number. Um, But the ones I do like, then at that point in time, they go to the property. So there's already two steps prior. Um, At the property, you know, legally, everyone needs a um, an application if they do ask for it. And so there is like an extra three pages of questions to my application. Yeah. Um, and then I go through, you know, calling past landlords, current landlord references, pulling credit, um, going through their answers from the questions. Yeah. And then I narrow it down to like one person that I like first do uh, like a usually like a coffee interview type of thing. And then after the last step is like the mm-hmm. tenants sign uh, the signing the lease. So there's a lot of steps where people get screened out. And then it's like a sales funnel. Yeah, and that's that's really smart. So I I have like a similar approach. Like I want to be able to do that, but I I use a rental agent to show. Mm-hmm. So I do the initial advertisement and the screening, and then mm-hmm. I have her show. Mm-hmm. And um, and that's actually it, great, by the way. Yeah, which I do I do that as well because if they're local, yeah. they're able to just open the door for you and just you don't have to avoid driving an hour but the thing is she still gets paid uh i give her half months oh you do yeah so and i think the problem there is that because she's not being paid hourly she wants the first application that that like seems like it can you know pass to wants me to sign it it's like well i don't know how you normally do things but uh normally when we have an application that works we we give it to them i'm like well you know but i want to pick the best tenant yeah. So, um, you know, that's a little bit different because I don't have a ton of, of um, regular family rentals. Most of mine are student rentals, but I am kind of building up the family rental business now mm-hmm. side too. Uh, so I'm revising that process. Scott, actually, I don't know if he told you about his process, Scott Zandbergen. He was on the show and, and uh, he uses a Google sheet that is fillable form that they can answer all those mm-hmm. questions right nice. off the bat. So they can't even they can't even uh, actually apply to see the place without answering the question. That's awesome. That's pretty cool. Yeah. But you know, um, my so my realtor will do it for, for me for free just because I just use the same one for Brantford as an example. Okay. And Brantford is your um, is your main hub of operations. Do you it have is. stuff in Hamilton as well, you said? Yeah, Hamilton and then uh, Kawartha Lakes. Kawartha Lakes for your cottage. Yeah, I saw you were posting stories on that. It looks nice. Thanks. How far That's, away is that? Like two hours? Um, yeah. So one of the big things is I didn't want to have somewhere where you have to drive up to Muskoka and sit in four or five mm-hmm. hour traffic. So um, something with the 407 <laughs> ability, that was yeah. where, uh, you know, the the extent of where we were looking. But yeah, it's just uh, in a town called Lakefield. So just like 15, 20 minutes okay. north of Peterborough near Trent University. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then that's kind of a hot market up there if you wanted to buy more uh, student rentals and stuff. Student rentals, I mean, even, you know, some multifamily, like, I, yeah. I really think Peterborough, like, as soon as that 407 connects to... And is it going to connect all the way to the 135, right? Or yeah, is that I the, think the 115. 115, sorry, yeah. I, I don't live up there, but I... Yeah, okay, so as soon as it connects to that, yeah, there's going to be a huge bump, yeah. um, a bump in value up and there. And the... the um, rental market is insane too like the vacancies are so low mm-hmm. and the numbers are similar to what i'm getting in brantford maybe a little bit better in terms of the rent where is your focus now is it still brantford or are you looking elsewhere because because those values are quite a bit up and cash flow is a little tougher i am looking for another cottage okay. the, so the airbnb cottage piece i like i love it because you can enjoy your cottage in between so that's what you're doing with that place it. yeah okay yeah um, yeah, I mean, we do well, like in July, I think we made 10,000. Nice. Yeah. yeah. So we, um, you know, at, at the end of the day, we, we've taken every long weekend, we take a, a week around that long weekend and we rent it out for the rest of the year. It's four seasons. So it, you know, mm-hmm. 20% down 30 year am that was pretty easy, pretty good. 
Um, so another one of those, but I like the triplex we have in Hamilton. I wouldn't mind doing another one, potentially a flip or two. Matt, um, my boyfriend now, he's more into the real estate, so he, he might want to yeah. try to see what he can do with the flips. Sure, why not, you know? How many properties are you at now? So we just sold one, so we're at nine. You're at nine properties, yeah. I thought that was uh, the number I've heard that. Okay, and how many uh, doors is that in total? 11. 11 doors? Okay, so including the triplex with and the Hamilton. triplex, yeah. Okay, and what's the best one of all of them, the best cash flow of any of them? Probably the cottage, because it's the cottage. Airbnb. Yeah, I mean, 10,000 in a month is amazing. Now, um, just a quick question on that. Um, one of the things that in my head that, well, there's a couple of, of little things with Airbnb that have scared me a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things is this whole notion about taxation on an Airbnb yeah. and, and becoming when, because on, on short-term rentals, that's considered commercial use, which you have to charge HST for. And if you're using the asset for HST, like commercial use, then technically the asset now becomes taxable. So when you wanted to sell it back to a residential homeowner, you could potentially be stuck with having to charge them HST, which there goes your appreciation. So yeah. I wanted to know, um, I know, I know there's ways around it, but mm-hmm. I mean, how, how much of a concern is that for you? So that is scary. Yeah, that is scary for sure. Cause the $30,000 mark and above, you're probably going to be there. There are ways around it. I am not an accountant, so I do not want your people taking, your listeners taking any advice. But if you sign a lease with a property manager or somebody else, there are some ways around it. Mm -hmm. And I'm not an accountant again. But just if you are looking into it, go talk to some, a professional on that. Yeah. You know, it's been, it's, it's probably slowed me down. So this is where networking, you know, maybe I know that there's a guy from, um, from BDO that comes out to the right club, George. George, he was on your podcast. I'm going to have a conversation with George on uh, Tuesday, is it, for the right club? Wednesday. Wednesday. Okay, good thing you told me that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, by the time this airs, that will have already It'll happened, done, but it yeah. happens It happens every month, so there's there's lots of those happening. And as far as uh, management, you have something set up, you, you built some systems up there? Yeah, so we ended up just putting like a keypad lock for the door. We have like a thermostat you can change with your phone. Mm -hmm. Then we have a cleaner that's local. So she's 20 bucks an hour and she just goes like literally she's down the street. And we have a room that we have like a bunch of stock. So we'll fill it up completely. And then because we're there every so often too for for ourselves, we'll refill. But we have basically this whole room of stock that we we lock. Um, And then she just kind of... You know, uses what she needs and then if we're, we're low she'll let us know i mean it's you know like i would say like once every you know month you might have something happen like i think in the in the winter we had some people staying there and the furnace completely went so like you get a furnace guy to go and then mm-hmm. you know what, what happened recently we had um one of the pipes started leaking and uh, leaked into that locked room that we had so you send your plumber. I mean, like things yeah. happen. But so like, you already have all those connections up there because it's we, a new area, right? That's that's a lot of work to build that framework up there. It is. It is. So I would say the the biggest thing that you could do to start, because your realtor is going to be an investor, they should have a team, and then okay. you can upgrade your team if you don't like certain members of it. But that's usually yeah. the easiest, fastest way to get into a new area because you're working with a realtor investor. They're going to have people that they use for that spot. And I would never use my Brantford realtor for finding me a cottage in Peterborough because that it defeats that whole purpose of yeah. not having that team in place. They've got to be focused. Yeah. yeah. Your realtor has to specifically speak to your needs of what, what it is you're doing. Yeah. I love how you just said, because your realtor is going to be an investor. No, it's true. Yeah. It really, really does. You can't just go with a friend mm-hmm. or a family member. You can't do that. No. It's not, you're, you're shooting yourself in the foot. Absolutely. And I think that's yeah. why it's been easier to get into different markets. Because you always just find the realtor. Yeah. Plus, they know who you are because they listen to your podcast. So you always got that. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is. You know, it's a good conversation starter. Good icebreaker. What's one thing you would tell a new investor? You know, maybe even say thinking about getting into Airbnb. What would you tell them not to do? To not do? Yeah. One thing not to do. Don't sit there and analyze and analyze and analyze and analyze that you don't do anything for the next five years. Um, that so would just probably take be my first biggest piece of advice. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the biggest learning comes from taking action and actually doing it and making mistakes. But, uh, you know, when it comes to Airbnb, I would just say, just know your, your laws and your rules and regulations. I mean, I probably wouldn't buy an Airbnb or something to Airbnb in Toronto because of all the rules and regulations. I probably wouldn't buy in a condo and try mm-hmm. to Airbnb. So like, just understand what the laws around it are based on where you are and also the building or you know, location or, I mean, so many condos have strict rules against short-term 
rentals. They don't allow anything shorter than three months, six months, depends on the building. Um, and Toronto right. is limited. I think it's like 180 days. You have to also be living in it. Like there's just too many things for so, me to want to invest yeah, in, the, in that The market. Toronto laws haven't haven't been finalized though yet, right? right. They're still under right. appeal. Okay. Yeah, that's scary. It's still ongoing as of the time we're recording this. So, And it can happen yeah. anywhere else, right? I mean, mm-hmm. right now the triplex for Airbnb in Hamilton. Oh, okay. But, you know, like backup strategy, if we can't, we'll, we'll put some tenants and it'll still cash flow, but might as well Airbnb it. Okay, so that so you have all three units used, used for Airbnb. Furnished them. How much did you invest in those furnishings approximately? Not much. Not it's much? A very, this was very low budget. So what we're actually doing with this one is we bought it. It was a single family. It had three units already and they never went to the city to legalize it. So I'm working with Daniel Ott to have it all legalized, but they're taking mm-hmm. forever. And okay. so I'm not going to have something sitting there. <laughs> So Airbnb it is. So we're going to Airbnb and, you know, and it's actually worked out pretty well that we may just continue doing it. Just because it's Hamilton, I find that very interesting. What's your average night? Like, are they one beds, two beds? Yeah. So um, right now, so the top unit, um, I think we just got it for a month for $2,000 and it's like a not even a one bedroom <laughs> it's like a bachelor <laughs> yeah it's a, well it's got a kitchen it has like a, a space that's a bedroom but it's not yeah. like closed in um and that's two thousand a month short term and then you know it just it depends like my sister um and i are actually in this deal together and so she's living there quote unquote paying rent but like yeah. um, managing that piece and so it's um i mean in the beginning i think it was like 85 bucks a night give or take for like the three bedroom that we have there's Mm -hmm. a main floor that's a one bedroom okay i think she just kind of plays and plays with the numbers a little bit okay this is more her her baby i'm Mm -hmm. just kind of you know overseeing it but she's the one that's doing the the hustling for that one (laughs) yeah so you're seeing pretty solid cash flow off that property overall for now for now i mean we've literally like just started doing it a month and a half ago and what's engrossing um, in a month? Like 30 days would be approximately. Four grand. Four grand. Right now, she's still living in one unit. Okay. So there's two units and we, so still, have, units we still have to finish. So we still have to finish the basement. Yeah. Um, ironically, the city, hopefully no one listens <laughs> from the city, but <laughs> if you, ironically. If you work for the city too, no. Right. <laughs> so the very top floor, the attic, um, the city used to actually um, place tenants that needed to you know for whatever reason like it was a city building back in the day where like you know oh, it was okay it was um rented to to whoever i don't know i don't know what all the details are anyways we got it vacant but when we went to when daniel went to the city to see you know if we can make it a four units they refused the top floor because it didn't have enough square footage that was not like on a slant. Oh yeah, with headroom, yeah, proper headroom, yeah. But it was good enough for renting yeah. with them. So like, it's like the different departments departments don't even really talk to each other. I don't know. Anyways, long yeah. story short, you know, worst case scenario, if my sister lives in there, <laughs> she's right. gonna, she's gonna rent out the top floor. She might rent out the middle floor. Who knows? Yeah, that's actually an interesting thing, right? If you really want a house hack, um, no, nothing stopping you from living in the illegal, illegal space. Yeah, you know, you just can't really legally put uh, put other people in it. So. Interesting point. Sarah, uh, obviously we could dig into this a lot more, but uh, we'll save that for the next episode. <laughs> so uh, if somebody would like to reach you, which, the be- which is the best place for them to find you? Yeah, so that they can go to sarahlarby.com or send me an email, which is sarah at sarahlarby.com or come out to the Right Club if you have mm-hmm. listeners that haven't been out yet. Happily, sure. you know, we'll offer them and, uh, you know, and anyone that comes to you as well the first pass complimentary. So the first time okay. that they come out and you know, all I need is name a name and an email and I will add them to the guest list for whichever um, evening event that they'd like to go to. I would say and that's the right club.com that they can go to for that. And um, yeah, but they can email you if they, if they want to, they yeah. heard this podcast and, and just let them let you know that they heard it from the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Or Instagram investor, Sarah Larby, they can go to as well and just send sure. me a message there. Well, I'll put all your different uh, links in the uh, show notes and uh, people can uh, can find you there. Awesome. Okay, so quick, a uh, few questions before we wrap up. Favorite place to vacation? I guess the cottage. <laughs> the cottage? Do you have like a, a dream destination in the world? Costa Rica is probably going to be our next vacation place. I love Costa Rica. Yeah, we did. Uh, where did we go? We went right near Samara on the um, Pacific coast and 
I remember one day I took a ATV and my wife and I drove 45 minutes down the coast just on these like little side trails. It was amazing. Nice. Uh, highly recommend that. So yeah, good nice. choice. The next trip we're actually doing though is Nashville and Miami in October, yeah. but um, we have to find something, something for my, my boyfriend's 40th in November okay. and it might, it might be Costa Rica. So we'll see. Nice. Well, that'd be great. And what do you do when you're not selling, doing real estate, coaching people, hosting a podcast and hosting a, um, a meetup? <laughs> I go to the gym. I just regular stuff. We'll have barbecues, dinner with friends. I like to um, even have my chef like sometimes like cater stuff for for us. Um, sometimes we'll do like um, dinners where each of us bring a different meal and we pair it with wine. Just hanging out with, you know, yeah. different people and having a good time and going out and we have a um investor you know dinner tonight one of the investors uh, husbands has a, a steak restaurant okay. that we're going to um but you know traveling is fun too like we try to do like a trip or two a year okay um we've taken matt's parents out um to jamaica uh, okay. for their first trip ever in their whole lives. That was pretty cool. We did it because wow. of real estate. And uh, his dad helped us a lot in the beginning with renos and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, I think I think for me, you know, even though this is busy and the, the right club is keeps me busy in the podcast, but it's like it's part of my fun. If I yeah. didn't enjoy it, I wouldn't do it. Yeah, I feel the same. I actually like the only part I would say, like, I really just kind of hate <laughs> is the editing. <laughs> is, no, I don't oh. want the editing, but I don't like the posting part, like all that, like mm. the uploading, like typing up all the write ups and stuff. I'm like, but I just did all this work. <laughs> That's why you can hire it out. <laughs> Delegation time. Yeah. If you got a good contact for me, let me know. I, I definitely could use the help. So, okay. Well, I appreciate you coming on. We'll have to connect again. I'm, I'm going to see you next week. I'll be seeing you at the meetup and if you ever want to come out to our meetup, we hosted uh, just across the road. Well, actually, we were. Now we're hosting it at uh, Nickelbrook uh, Brewery. The, oh, nice. Uh, anyways, thanks a lot, Sarah. I really appreciate it. And uh, we'll see you soon. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, guys. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. Just a quick reminder to please rate and review this podcast if you have not already done so. If you're watching on YouTube, please take a moment and click that subscribe button. Give it a like. Leave me a comment. It just helps more people to find the podcast, helps it grow. 